This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Broadcast recently had a hangout with Andy Brownlee, where Andy was talking about eight signs of a healthy church and helping us to apply those signs into our own churches. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that hangout with Andy. You can find the full notes on everything that he said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 109. So here is Andy Brownlee. I lead Christchurch Manchester's Withington site. Uh, my wife and I, we started that four years ago. Uh, and just before we started the site four years ago, I was doing a, a master's in uh, missional leadership in uh, Regents College down in Malvern. And, and I came across a fascinating study into church health uh, that was conducted by a, a German guy called Christian Schwarz way back in 1996. And it's actually the largest research project into church health that has ever been conducted. Uh, this guy, he got 4.2 million responses from people in churches in, in 32 different countries uh, spread across every continent in the world. Uh, and he found through his research eight things that characterize healthy churches, eight things that healthy churches have, no matter where in the world they are, no matter what culture they're, they're in, uh, these eight things characterize healthy churches. So I'm just going to go through these eight things, explain a little bit about what they are, share a little bit about how we've found them helpful in our context, and then I'll open it up for questions. So uh, first characteristic of a healthy church is that it has empowering leadership, empowering leadership. This is leadership that helps others have their ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, really famous verse of the Bible, uh, says this. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Now, why did he give us them? So everyone could come and watch them do the thing and say, wow, aren't they really gifted? Aren't they amazing? Is that why I gave them? Well, no, he didn't give them for that. He gave them to equip, as the verse says, equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built Empowering leaders are all about equipping, motivating and mentoring others to grow in their leadership, their service and their ministry. And empowering leadership, it's a very, very attractive thing. Uh, I can just think about myself. Uh, the reason I one of the main reasons I am in CCM is because our senior leader, Colin Barron, is quintessentially an empowering leader, very much into motivating, mentoring and equipping others in, in leadership. Now, empowering leaders are, are not primarily relationship orientated. They're not also primarily goal orientated, but pro- empowering leaders are primarily partnership orientated. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, relationship orientated leaders are all about making a relationship with someone. So forming a relationship, being with them, being very pastoral, caring for them. There's not so much goals or things we want to achieve. It's just the relationship. Goal-oriented leaders, on the other hand, are very much, we want to achieve this goal, and I'm going to use people to get me to this goal. Whereas partnership-oriented leaders, they partner with people to help them achieve their 
potential. Now, what does that look like in real life? Well, for example, uh, last week I, I had a meeting with someone in our church. They preached regularly at our church. And I met with them to share some things really that they needed to improve in their preaching. And it wasn't so much of an easy conversation, but it went well. Now, that's an example of kind of partnership, being partnership orientated in a relationship with someone. Now, if I was um, relationship orientated, I wouldn't have that difficult conversation because I wouldn't be so bothered about the goal. I would just want to keep the relationship nice. If I was goal orientated, that person probably wouldn't be preaching. I would have just got two or three other people and said, right, you're great. I'm just going to invest in you so we can achieve our goal of excellent preaching. So uh, that's a helpful example of anyway. So empowering leadership. Another way of, of talking about empowering leadership is basically saying they focus on getting the best out of people. Empowering leaders focus on getting the best out of people. Rather than handle the bulk of church responsibility on their own, Empowering leaders invest the majority of their time in discipleship, delegation, and multiplication, which means the energy they expend is always being multiplied. And this is exactly how Paul worked right throughout the New Testament. If you just look at his interaction with Timothy, Titus, how he appointed elders, how he trained people. Uh, the famous writer on Paul, Roland Allen, says this about him. He says, Paul taught the few to instruct the many. That's what he did. And for me, in my context, in the, in the church that we planted four years ago, I'm always trying to think, how can I bring through new leaders? How can I bring through new people who are, who are maybe okay at something and bring them through and, and, and really develop them? I remember one guy who, uh, who, was, who was involved with this just as we started the church. Uh, he, he, I remember sent a, he told me that I play guitar, Andy. And I was like, well, have you ever led worship? He's like, no. Uh, have you ever sang? He says, I've sang in the shower. That's about it. And I said, okay, that's great. Well, you can be our new worship leader. And we kind of really invested in him. And then, yeah, he's turned out to be a great worship leader. Um, so uh, this last couple of months ago, um, I had my staff sort of annual review. And uh, one of the things that was said in the annual review was, uh, Andy, you're very good at empowering others. Uh, but you have a tendency to jump back in and take over the reins if something isn't being done to a high standard, which I think is accurate. And I've, I've noticed a few times when I have done that. And I, I kind of reflected on that in myself. And I realized that the reason that is, is because excellence is more important to me than empowerment. Excellence is more important to me than empowerment. And I, actually, I think that's something that needs, it needs to change. And excellence being more, than, more important than empowerment is often the thing that halts empowering leadership. So that's the first characteristic of a healthy church. You'd be pleased to know it's the longest one. They're going to get shorter, I promise. The second characteristic of a healthy church is gift-orientated ministry. Gift-orientated ministry. This is when people are using their gifts consistently in church. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12, a famous passage in the Bible, Paul says that, People are given different kinds of gifts by the Holy Spirit for the common good. Gift-oriented ministry is when leaders help people to identify their gifts and find opportunities for them to use them in the church. Uh, Christians factor influences the happiness of Christians in a church more than whether they are utilizing their gifts in church or not. 
I, I saw this in, a, in our own church. Uh, I preached, must be about a year ago, I think. Um, I preached a sermon and got right to the end. And I, I did this little thing where I said, you know what, we're going to investigate what our spiritual gifts are. Why don't you go onto this link and you can find out where your gifts are. And I was so surprised that people really, really caught hold of this. And loads of people check out this link and, uh, and we're, we're looking to try and find out what their gifts are. Uh, they completely forgot my, what my preach was about. But there was a real hunger and a real desire from people in church to find out what their gifts are and, and use them in church. Christian Schwartz's research also found that healthy churches have a high percentage of people whose ministry in church matches their gifts and who also receive training for their role. Unhealthy churches, on the other hand, have way less people whose ministries match their gifts or have received training for their role. So it's a few little stats from Schwartz's research. So that's the second characteristic of a healthy church, gift-orientated ministry. The third characteristic of a healthy church is something called passionate spirituality. Passionate spirituality. Now, in one of the one of the one of the best pictures of the New Testament church is found in Acts 2, 42 to 47. Really beautiful picture of what the church was like just after Pentecost. And uh, there's just three phrases from that passage. I just want to read out. The people in, the, in that church, number one, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Everyone was filled with awe at the, the many wonders and signs, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they were devoted, they were filled with awe, and they had glad and sincere hearts. That's the perfect description of passionate spirituality. That's what it is. Now, to put it another way, uh, passionate spirituality is when things matter to people. Things matter to people in the church. The phrase that being on fire for God is often used to describe passionate spirituality. You know, there's a, it's like there's a buzz around the place on a Sunday, but it's not just that. There's more to it than that. It's, it's when people are actually living out their faith in their everyday lives with a real joy and enthusiasm. Uh, actually, enthusiasm is probably, probably the best synonym for passionate spirituality. Enthusiasm. Now, the criticism of this characteristic has been that... Uh, People will often come and say, well, you know, cults and sects and things like that, they have lots of enthusiasm, even though what they believe is false. Uh, And that's true. That's why none of these characteristics should be taken in isolation. They all need to be connected to the others. Christian Schwartz found that in churches which tend towards legalism, and I'm defining legalism um, as where being theologically correct is the be all and end all, Churches that tend towards legalism, in churches that tend towards legalism, spiritual passion tends to be much, much lower. Enthusiasm tends to be much, much lower. So it's important to be theologically correct, but it's not enough just to be theologically correct. Because if we think about it, the Pharisees were theologically correct on a lot of areas. Now, when defense of orthodoxy, this is a bit of a quote, when defense of orthodoxy replaces following Christ as the most important thing in a church, enthusiasm dissipates. I'm just going to say that again. This is an important line. When defense of orthodoxy replaces following Christ as the most important thing in a church, enthusiasm dissipates. And I've seen that in churches that I've, I've been in when defense of orthodoxy seems to be the most important thing. So that's the third characteristic of a healthy church, passionate spirituality. The fourth characteristic of a healthy church 
is functional structures. Functional structures. Now, this is basically organization, pure and simple organization. It's having clear organization and vision so that people know what they're doing. People know what they're doing. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4 to 2 to 4, we, we get a glimpse of this with the 12 disciples. Uh, the 12, they gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, they said, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So we see from that passage, the disciples right from get go put some functional structure or, and, and organization into the church. They're basically saying, look, you focus on this area, we'll focus on that one. And it kind of also links here with gift oriented ministry. Now, for us at, at CCM Withington, one of the ways I do this is um, when we started the church, we made a vision document, a vision and strategy document. Um, which we put on one sheet of uh, one side of A4 paper. I think that's all you need for a strategy document. Get everything on one side of an A4 sheet of paper. And what we'd have on there, we'd have our vision, and then we'd have all the different areas of our church and how they are all achieving the vision of the church. And what I did was I, I give each person in our leadership team, I give them a, a department in church. So for one couple, I give them community groups. You look after that. Um, uh, I give another uh, couple, uh, I give them worship. I give someone else welcome and hospitality. Someone else was finance. Someone else was was kids work. We give them all different areas. And I, 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 I chatted with things through with them. And we worked at some targets, some aims that we could try and achieve in these areas. And um, it was really helpful for people. They really grabbed of this because they could see exactly where they fitted, what their responsibility was, and what their aim, what their goal, their target was. Uh, so they knew exactly how to work towards that. And we find that really helpful in, in our church. And on this topic of functional structures, Christian Schwartz really kind of agrees with this in his research. He, he, he basically says he found that most growing or healthy churches ha- have department heads for different ministries, while declining or unhealthy ones don't. So that's something he finds. So that's the fourth characteristic of a healthy church, functional structures. Uh, The fifth characteristic, we're getting through them. The fifth characteristic of a healthy church is inspiring worship services, inspiring worship services. These are basically worship services that people look forward to going to. You know, they go along and they're like, wow, that was good. Uh, It's not necessarily all the glitz and glam and bright lights, but there's just something powerful about it, something inspiring. We see an example of this in an, an inspiring worship service in Acts chapter four. Verse 23, um, it's when Peter and John, they got released from prison and they go back to their people and then they report all of the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Uh, and when the people heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God and they prayed and the place where the meeting was, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Inspiring uh, actually comes from the word inspiratio, which which means basically inspiration from the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is at work, it will have an effect on the atmosphere of of our meeting. Uh, So really, this one's all about opening ourselves up to the Spirit of God. And for me uh, at CCM Withington, uh, what I've started doing recently is just at the end uh, of our our sermon, just just standing up and saying, we're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit now. 
not of any music. We're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. And that's that's really done something in our services of late. It's really, I don't know how to describe it. It's just injected something into our services. And I think what we, what really needs to happen with inspiring worship services, you need to cultivate a sense of expectancy among people, that people have a sense of they expect God's going to do something in the service. Not that he might, but they expect it. And that's really what we're going for in inspiring worship services. So that's the fifth characteristic of a healthy church, inspiring worship services. The sixth characteristic of a healthy church. How are we doing for time? I think. Okay. Um, Sixth characteristic of a healthy church is holistic small groups. Holistic small groups. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, small groups that are both caring and challenging. Small groups that are both caring and challenging. In Acts 2.46, we read that every day the, the believers continued to meet in the, in the temple courts, but they also broke bread in each other's homes and ate together. And actually, in the early church, small groups in people's homes was, was one of the primary ways that believers met together because often they simply couldn't find or have or access a bigger building to have a bigger gathering. Small groups uh, need to be holistic, which which means that they've got to go beyond just discussing Bible passages, but it's about applying them to real life, grounding them in real life. And that the beauty of small groups is that people can, can discuss their issues and, and questions in a safe place. It's a perfect place for, it's also the perfect place for Christians to serve others and to learn to lead. Like Dave Ferguson from the Exponential uh, Church Planting Network, he uses community groups, small groups, to, to bring through new leaders. That's the primary way he brings through new leaders. So he will train up new leaders to take over a small group and every small group leader will be training a leader to take over from them. And then he moves those leaders on to, 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 to other forms of leadership. Um, and that's, that's how he does it. He really uses that to bring through his leaders. Now, Christian Schwartz found three interesting things in this area about holistic small groups. He found this through the research. Growing churches place more importance on small groups than declining churches do. Second thing he found was that promoting the multiplication of small groups has the most significant relationship to church growth. Promoting the multiplication of small groups, community groups, has the most significant relationship to church growth. And thirdly, he found that in growing churches, a high number of people said that they have a a small group of church where they can discuss their personal problems. In declining churches, that number is way, way less. So that's the sixth characteristic of a healthy church, holistic small groups. The seventh characteristic of a healthy church is need-orientated evangelism. Need-orientated evangelism. This is evangelism that meets people's real needs and answers their actual questions. We see an example of this in uh, Acts 17, uh, when Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, or otherwise known as Mars Hill, and uh, he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And what's interesting there is is that Paul kind of picks up on the questions that they're actually asking. And we notice in the Bible that that he preaches in a different way when he's talking to Jews to when he's talking to non-Jews, because they're asking different questions. 
And that needs to be taken into consideration when we're doing evangelism. It needs to be need-oriented. What are they What are they asking? What are they wanting to know? Now, every Christian uh, has a responsibility to share their faith, to make disciples. We all agree with that. Um, but question, does this mean that every Christian has the spiritual gift of evangelist or evangelism? Or now, Christian Schwartz would argue that only around 10% of Christians actually have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Only 10%. And he says in healthy churches, the leadership know who those people are and they help them to use their gifts in this area. I was having a conversation just yesterday with another leader at CCM. and We're going to do a mission trip uh, coming up in a number of months. And we were talking about the fact that there's going to be some evangelism on that. And we were identifying the evangelists in our church, the people who were like, we need those people on this trip. Because these are the people who are gifted in this area, who have the gift of evangelism. Now, Schwartz also says the, the key to church growth is when evangelistic efforts focus on the actual questions and actual needs of non-Christians. So we may think that the non-Christian who lives next door to us is asking the question, why did Jesus die? But that might not be the question they're asking at all. The question they might be asking is, is there absolute truth? So we've got to we've got to address the questions that they're asking. And also, we may seek to, to serve our community. We may think, well, we'll set up a food bank. But actually, your community doesn't need a food bank. It's, it's a bit working. What does our community need? What's the questions they're asking? And, and part of this is really understanding your culture, understanding your cultural culture. Uh, there's a great podcast I, I I listened to recently called This Cultural Moment um, by Mark Mark Sawyer's uh, really good podcast just to help you understand the culture that we live in and understand some of the questions that people are asking. Now, on average, a Christian in this country has approximately 8.5 contacts who are non-Christians. Now, as church leaders, we, we can challenge people in our church to build new friendships with non-Christians. But what we can also do is actually just equip them to reach the people that they already know, which I think is more effective. And this is something that we're starting to just work on at our church. So that's the seventh characteristic of a healthy church, need-oriented evangelism. The eighth characteristic of a healthy church, and the final one uh, we're going to look at tonight, is loving relationships. Loving relationships. Now, most churches you go to are polite, but that is very different to being loving. Loving is much different to just politeness. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 3 says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So love is so important for us as a church. It's the most the most important thing, really, you could argue, love, faith. So there is a strong connection between the health of a church and how loving it is. Now, question, how do we measure love? How do we measure love? Well, it's not just a fuzzy feeling, love. It's a doing word. It's something we can be intentional about and, and really focus on, on doing and, and creating a culture of love in our church. 
Now, the two ways that, that Christians farts actually found very significant when defining how much love there is in a church. Bizarre, but I, uh, probably bizarre when you hear them. But the two ways that he found significant is, is laughter and hospitality. He said there's a significant connection by how much laughter there is in a church and how loving it is. And he said there's also a significant connection between how often people have others from their church over to their homes for food or coffee or whatever and, and how loving a church is. And he also found that churches with over a thousand people in attendance frequently have this factor as their weakest of the eight. And that is the advantage of having small churches. Now, for us at CCM Wivington, uh, we have in the early days, we were very intentional about being loving, about doing certain things. Uh, when people, new people come, very intentional about meeting up with them, inviting them for dinner, getting them into community group, um, encouraging people to invite them over to their house. Uh, so I think when it comes to love, it's important to be intentional about it. And once you've done that for long enough, it becomes the culture. It becomes the culture. People just do it because it's what they do. It's what happens in our church. So that's the eighth characteristic of a healthy church, uh, loving relationships. Now, one thing that comes out really strongly from this, this study uh, from Christian Schwartz is that healthy churches grow. Healthy churches grow. That's probably not news to you. There's an incredibly strong correlation between church health and church growth. Just like when plants are healthy, they grow. When churches are healthy, they grow. And, and it's God who gives the growth. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So it's not a question of figuring out how to grow the church. That's not our job. God brings the growth. Jesus says, I will grow my church. It, it's more a question of asking how healthy our church is, or, or even more than that, what things are stopping our church from being healthy? Because when it's healthy, it will grow. My dad is a, an apple farmer. And uh, he, one of the things, he doesn't focus on making his apple trees grow. He doesn't do that. He focuses on making them healthy. Because when they're healthy, they will grow. And that's kind of like what we've been talking about here. A couple of months ago, uh, I, I got my leadership team uh, together and we, we, marked, we marked our church out of 10 in these eight areas. Quite scary for a church leader to do because you really are a bit exposed. Like, how are we doing here? But we, there was a good 10, 12 of us in the room and we marked our church out of 10 in these, in these eight areas. And, and what we found was that there were, there were five of the characteristics that Virtually unanimously, our, our entire leadership team thought we're doing really well in these five. And then there were there were three areas where almost everyone felt that yeah, we're not doing quite so well in these three areas. And these three areas were passionate spirituality, inspiring worship services, although my wife is adamant that this is not a weakness, but I, yeah, other people felt it was, and need-oriented evangelism. Now, what, what I found really helpful about doing this little kind of almost like church health check 
was that it made it really apparent where our strengths and weaknesses were as a church. And for a lot of church leaders, they just don't really know where they're strong and weak because they've never really thought about it that much or, or gone through something as methodical as this. But it left me with a question of, well, OK, what do I do about this now? OK, what do I do? Uh, and in one sense, I was thinking, well, I could just say, well, so what? You know, we're, we're not awful in any of these areas. Uh, we're growing as a church. Uh, and, you know, the reality is we're bound to have areas that we're weaker, weaker in than others. And that's kind of fine. That's all right. But it's interesting. Christian Schwartz actually argues that a church can only grow as big as its weakest quality characteristic will allow. So the weakest one of these eight. And he uses the illustration of a wooden bucket with different lengths of wood. Okay, now I'm, I've got this picture. I don't know if you can see that, but it's it's a bucket with different lengths of wood. Okay, and then um, what he says is that the water can only go to the level of the lowest piece of wood. And in the same way, he argues that the growth of a church is determined by the characteristic that is weakest. So so focusing on improving our weakest characteristic is going to bring the greatest gain, which to be honest, I can I can see the logic in. So where are we all with this now? I'm, I'm just about to finish. I think we're all right for time. Are we? Yeah, we're good for time. Yeah. So where are we at with this now? Well, as a leadership team, we decided let's, you know, what are we going to do about this? We, we decided let's, let's pray about it. Let's pray about these three areas that we're weakest in. So we do that in our, our kind of Sunday morning prayer meeting. We, we chat with these three areas and we pray into them. We say, Lord, help us in these three areas. And I feel God's really started to answer some of our prayers in these areas. There's been a real, real difference in our worship services over these last few weeks. Just something's happening there. Uh, and I think uh, one thing I'm thinking of, of is possibly also using the areas where we're strong to help the areas where we're weak. So, for example, gift-oriented ministry is strong in our church. Can I use that strength to identify people with gifting and evangelism? Um, and uh, gifting and evangelism, because gift-oriented ministry is one of our weaker areas, and try to encourage and equip them to pick this up and, and really run with it. So that's just kind of a few things I'm thinking about. As a church, we're really on a journey with this. This isn't like, you know, we've got it all nailed and sorted. That's not true at all. We're on a journey with this. We're still grappling with questions. Um, so the first question, going right back to the beginning, obviously we've talked through the the eight keys, um, key characteristics. And the first question was, you talked about the, um, with your group, you did like an online questionnaire type thing and you were really surprised at just the interest that was there. People were hungry to identify their spiritual gifts. What other ways have you helped others or have you seen um, people um, help others discover what their gifts are other than obviously that example of the online questionnaire? What does that look like? Yeah. What, so what other ways have we been able to help people identify their gifts? Uh, and, and yeah, um, well, I suppose the main way that w- we do this in CCM Withington is one of the cultures that we promote in church is a have a go culture. So really what we promote is have a go and see how it goes, really. So we're very much get stuck in if uh, you know if if 
playing music in the band is something you'd want to explore well then you know we can we can we can work on that you can have a go if, if being on the welcome team or kids work why not have a go try it for a month two months see how you get on and and, and maybe you'll find it yeah this is something i've gifted up this is something i enjoy so yeah that's that's okay. apart from apart from doing the online survey um that's normally how we do it in quite an organic sense Okay. Yeah, that's brilliant. Excellent. Um, okay, so we've got one, right, moving on to kind of the passionate spirituality. How yes. do you keep, this is a great question, how do you keep a high theological standard without causing passionate enthusiasm to wane? So how do you keep, so say this again, so how do you keep... Yeah, because you talked about the whole legalism thing kind of yeah. kicking in. So how do you keep a high theological standard without causing passionate enthusiasm to wane? Well, I think it's a question of what your overall goal is. And I think that comes down to leadership. Uh, I think it comes down to leaders being very reflective, self-reflective on, on what's going on inside of them. Uh, I believe firmly that it's incredibly important that we have correct theology, uh, you know, that we're, we take that very seriously. That's very foundational. Um, yeah. But the end goal is to follow Christ. And, and, and that is the key. Um, and I think it's about keeping a focus on that. And I suppose I haven't, I'm not sure if I've really answered that question. Um, yeah, uh, it's a great question. <laughs> I suppose my answer is it's it's difficult. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I think it comes down to leadership and leaders instill that in the rest of the church. Um, yeah, so yeah, uh, that's probably the best I'm going to get. Yeah. If there's a qualifying question, I'd be very welcome to take that. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. I was going to say the same thing for the for the person that asked that question. If you just want to type in, if if you feel like there's uh, more you want Andy to expand on with that one, but yeah, there back to the the leadership thing. Um, so a, a question that's coming into is, um, what does discipleship look like in yeah. your church? What does discipleship look like in our church? Is that in reference to any of the characteristics, or is it just straight up? What does it look like? I think uh, it was probably around the gift orientated thing and obviously wanting to raise people who are passionate yeah. spiritually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, in terms of discipleship, what we have what we have done is we we encourage small groups um, of roughly around three people. Uh, we call them prayer, prayer triplets or um, and we we do a lot of discipleship through those. We're encouraging those. Um, to grow kind of organically in the church. And, uh, and and what comes through those groups is two things mainly, is accountability and challenge. So accountability, how are you doing in your Christian faith? And also challenge us to, let's challenge ourselves to, to do some stuff and to step up. So that takes place um, away from the community groups and small groups to an extent. There is discipleship there as well, but it's mostly in these smaller, smaller groups uh, where we have that accountability and that challenge and where the real discipleship takes place. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's how we do discipleship. But I also think discipleship, uh, what what we can often do is we can 
just make discipleship. It just happens in that, that group of three people. Whereas I think discipleship happens in so many other different ways in church that we don't really give credit is, that is discipleship. I mean, so people are growing in discipleship through listening to the sermon, through worshiping on Sunday, through going to community groups, through through various different ways. And I think we need to give those things credit as growing people in disciples as well. It's not just, just doesn't take place in one hour yeah. a week where, where we're challenging each other and getting people to be accountable. So, um, but yeah, that's how we do it. Brilliant. Yeah. So that's a really good answer because obviously it is lots of different contexts, but you also have that structure in place of the, of the smaller group. And um, that's really helpful. Hope that's helpful um, for you. Um, what have we got here? Right. Inspiring worship services. How do you, this is a big question, million dollar question. How do you encourage participation? How do you encourage participation? Um, uh, participation as in worship as in uh, getting involved in worship yeah people bringing contributions people bringing contributions I mean I in terms of our worship a couple of years ago I'm just thinking back uh, with with my core team my leadership teams about 10 12 of us I always uh, encourage them to to be, you know, not to fake it, but be expressive in their worship. So, you know, be open, be honest if you're in your worship. You know, if you want to put your hands up, do it. If you want to clap, if you want to share, if you want, I want you to be really open and free to do that. I, I'm very, I, I really encourage them to do that. Every time we meet, I'm encouraging them to do that. And also just showing them and reminding them that actually uh, we lead by example in everything we do and that actually, when we're expressive in our worship, that helps others to kind of get the freedom to be expressive in worship as well. So, I mean, I can remember I, way back in the early days, there was, there was one guy in our church and he was just he was just a joy. I mean, just a lovely, really great guy, just loved Jesus and just showed it on a Sunday. Um, you know, just really worship Jesus from his heart. And you could you could tell it wasn't put on. It was, and I remember just saying to him, I was like, would you just sit? at the front every week and he's like uh yeah i don't mind where i sit just sit the front every week because actually it does everybody else's hearts good to just mm. watch you worship so i think sometimes to just about identifying some people like that and saying i'd love you to really help me out here this might seem a bit random but could you could you help us out and just sit near the front really and uh, and we've we've seen people who have come from such such conservative churches whereby you know if you put your hand up it gets chopped off an invisible like guillotine uh, that, so they think anyway and uh, and they've you know and, and they've warmed up and they've seen other people expressing themselves and i saw so one person uh, just a couple of weeks ago and, and they, they had their hands up and i was like wow i mean and that's a huge thing for them i mean huge um, but yeah there was just freedom in worship it was great to see yeah, excellent. So lead by example, um, encourage it in your leaders. Um, this is another one related to, to the same topic. Um, are there things we can do on a human level to make our worship services inspiring or is it just a case of waiting on God for it? Oh, very good question. Um, well, I suppose a little bit of what I've talked about before. Um, um, 
I mean, I, I think there are certain human things that we can not do that guarantee, uh, well, not guarantee, but, but really are a put off. You know, so it, the music, music won't make it inspiring, but if the music's really bad, it will really cause people difficulties with it. So there are certain things that are important, human things are important just to get to a certain standard so that they're not a thing that's putting people off. In terms of human things, um, I think a good bit of it does rest on the on the, on the, the person leading. Uh, I'm, I'm not so much the, the, the worship leader, almost like the person anchoring the service uh, and just hearing the voice of God, uh, taking some risks, being bold. And that's what I've learned uh, a lot recently is take some risks and don't be afraid to look stupid. Because yeah. if you do, you'll grow in your humility. And if you don't, God's, God's maybe going to do some stuff because he often does stuff when we take steps of faith and risks. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think often a lot rests on a lot on the person leading or anchoring, taking risks and, and stepping out. Yeah, brilliant. Um, okay. Um, uh, excellent. We did have the person, you know, the question about the um, theological ones. Somebody came back and said, top answer. Thank you for that. That, that solved that one. Or solved it. Uh, answered their question. Um, so that's good to have the feedback. Thank you. Um, looking at the kind of small group thing then. Yeah. Um, how do you... If you, if you have those so the questions, do you find that you have those on your fringe that aren't quite ready for a small group? Maybe not. But if so, how do you encourage them to engage and belong? How do we encourage people who aren't ready for a small group to engage and belong? I mean, I think really I would refer to the, the number eight, the loving relationships. Uh, I think we've, um, I think we've probably got to a stage now at Withington where people inviting others out for food, for dinner, for coffee, not just with people who are naturally the friends, but intentionally inviting others just over to their house, houses generally has become part of the culture now, I, I would say. So yeah. I think people generally get connected in just through that. So we always will try and get people's numbers when they come along um, and someone will meet up with them for a coffee and then we'll try and encourage someone to have them over for dinner or have them over to their house, which just makes a natural next step. And once someone's been to your house for dinner, it's it's not too much of a step to go to community group because really all it is is dinner with a Bible study on the end. So a uh, Bible study and some prayer and, uh, you know, it, 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 so, um, yeah, so that's how we, we, we connect people in, just being being friendly really um yeah. so yeah yeah hospitality yeah excellent um okay oh, thinking about the whole evangelism thing then um mm -hmm. the question is this um can you give some contemporary examples of need orientated evangelism being done really well need orientated evangelism being done really Wow. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, Need-oriented evangelism. Being, I'm on the spot here. Um, well, uh, hmm, that's very interesting. I'm just trying to think of my own context of yeah. what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. You can often think of 
how it's not done well <laughs> rather than how it's uh, how it, I mean w- w- what I'm I'm learning in all this is is the understanding of culture um and just uh I suppose when it comes to I think I've changed a bit of my preaching because I've I've learned a lot about what the culture is that we actually live in and what the questions that people are actually asking. So even for people coming along to church, just what they're hearing from me in terms of application is often a little bit different just because of a little bit of growing an understanding of, of the culture that, that I have had. Um, I mean, I think Alpha, Alpha understands culture the alpha course i mean they've done really well in understanding the western culture that we live in you know i don't think it does as well in non-western culture because just the questions are different so great um i think i mean food banks in particular areas that can kind of reach out to people and make those relationships is great but again it's just it's working out you know does my area really need a food bank uh we we have done family fun days in our local area because we just it's just a really good way of connecting with people. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a case of just doing some research into the area that you're in to find out what what the needs are um, and, and those and also just doing a little bit of research into into the culture. So the this culture moment podcast, Center Church by Timothy Keller, is a fantastic book to read on just understanding culture as well. And I think that will just help you when it comes to what you do. I'm not sure I've even answered that question, but I've, I've, I'm sorry, I've talked for a while anyway. So. Yeah, no, that's fine, because there's a follow-up question that's come in. Can you elaborate yeah. more on some of the specific changes you've made to your preaching to connect with the culture you're in? Yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's really a recognition that we live in a postmodern culture, Um and also that um, that in a there's been a kind of change in the sense that uh, we as Christians we almost no longer have the moral high grounds now. So there was a time when non Christians would look at Christians and say, hey, you know, you the, the, the moral ethic that you live by is higher than ours. Whereas now, and I think partly due to the whole homosexuality thing that's been played out in the media. Most Christians now would look at most non-Christians would look at Christians now and say that they have a higher moral ethic than us because they look at us and think, okay, we're bigots, we're 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 not nice to to minorities and this. And I think there's a recognition in my preaching that we we don't we don't have that that high ground. So there's almost a little bit of a kind of a a defense of of us as Christians and and the morals that we stand by. Really, um, yeah. So. Yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah that's one thing uh yeah yeah anyway that, that's yeah man, that's brilliant <laughs> yeah no that's brilliant um okay really helpful um also on evangelism you obviously talk about the 10 percent who are particularly gifted at, at, the, at the gift of evangelism and um how do you encourage um in your kind of church setting how do you encourage the 90 percent of whom don't have like a particular gift of evangelism what does that look like is it apologetics training is it is it yeah what is it for you guys small steps small achievable steps so that you can you can celebrate wins 
So it's way better to give people a small step, they can do it, and we all celebrate, than giving them an unachievable step, which nobody does, and the pastor just gets really annoyed and peeved at everyone. So I've kind of, I've learned this. you know, there was a while ago where I, I basically tried to get everyone to go and do street evangelism. And everyone looked at me like, you know, rabbits in headlights. They were like, what? Go on the street and talk to street? You know, it was just so far beyond. And what we started to do now is there are, there are a few people who are just so up for that. Great, they do it. And that's fantastic. But with everyone else, we've just decided to do some small steps. So just, uh, I was just talking to my wife uh, yesterday just about encouraging people to to just take small steps. So just why not text one of your friends this week who's not a Christian and just say, you know, is there anything I can pray for you this week? Just little, little steps that people can take. Yeah, you know, I've done that. And then we can increase the steps. So that, that's what we find. Again, we're kind of learning on this, that this is not something that we're experts in. It's something that as a church, we want to, I really want us to focus on about taking those small steps. Um, yeah, I've learned that I've, I've tried to make people take a too big of a step and I, I'm pulling back from that. I'm thinking, let's just take people small steps. So yeah, that, that, that will be the answer to that one. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. That's celebrate the wins. Um, talking about the, the loving relationships then, and we had a question which was about the fact that you can't be friends with everyone. So how have you handled expectations from others when you start a church plant and you are in each other's homes and you are in and out of each other's lives. Um, and that changes, that dynamic changes. And obviously the people that were part of your core, unless they form yeah. part of your growing leadership, how have you handled that or any wisdom on that for, for people? So this is a question from someone who's been very successful in church planting then, who's grown something from very small to very big. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, to an extent, we, we've had that. So the question is, so can just uh, clarify, the question is, how have I handled? So you start really small and then you grow a lot. And then some people feel a little bit would that be disenfranchised, that they no longer have the same access to you that they, they did before. Is that kind of what it's getting at? I think is. Yeah, I think it is because you 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 painted a picture about um, the laughter, hospitality being evidenced by how often people are in each other's homes, and obviously your core can do that all together. But then as you grow, that core who've enjoyed that, um, actually you haven't got capacity to do that with them, and then add people into that. Yeah, I mean, what we do is I'm always saying I, I'm never saying to the core team hang out with each other. I'm always saying to them look out for the person on the fringe, look out for the person on the edge, look out for the new person. Um, so, you know, we have this thing when a new person walks into the church, um, if I'm talking to someone, I'll just leave. I'll just stop and go towards the new person. So we're very much trying to draw the outsider in. And I think it's about getting the, the core and the leadership team to develop a culture. So it's not that people are disenfranchised from not seeing me as much. It's that there's a culture of everyone just showing that love, that hospitality, inviting people over so that it's just a network. It's a thing that spreads. So even the new people come in, they kind of learn that this is the culture and they kind of participate in that in that yeah. as well um, and again it, it starts it starts at the top that's the scary thing about leadership is your gifts and your faults get instilled in in the people around you really so um yeah so it's about being intentional about it at the start yeah. and instilling that 
that culture in the team, but but widening your team, working out ways, how do I widen this team and instill that culture in the wider team as well? Um, yeah, so that would be how I would do that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I think we've got time. Do you know what's really lovely? We've had a comment in saying, this has been outstanding. Thank you so much. So what an encouragement in terms of what you're bringing to us tonight and obviously for people to be watching in the future when they uh, when it's on, you know, on the website. Um, so, so Andy, it's so a huge um, thumbs up for you in terms of just being sharing really honestly. Um, um, but this is uh, we'll go with this as our final question then. Right at the end, you talked about um, as a church leadership, you looked and evaluated where you were at. Um, yep. And you and there was a kind of quote which was about actually your weakest area um yeah. and growing in terms of the capacity was was limited by the weakest area and um, the question is do you think which i'm also guessing the question and the answer is yes but can you expand do you think there's also value in developing your areas of strength or is it just about improving the weaker areas can you make a comment on that for us i think the key is using your areas of strength to develop your weaker areas that's the key to all this so uh, so, for example, for us, gift oriented ministry is a strength. It's about using that figure. How do you use that strength to develop our weakness of need oriented evangelism? And it's it, it's almost it's matching your strengths to your weaknesses. Um, you know, so I, I'm just trying to think, you know, how does how can we use the, the empowering leadership strength that we have to, to help? our worship services so it's making those links that's the key i think now i have i'm i'm in the process of figuring out how to do that i have lots of conversations with other leaders at church thinking what what do you think we should do should we do this or do this we're in the process of that um yeah but definitely i mean the guy this guy christian schwartz he's written this book natural church development definitely worth buying having a read through um it's it's really helpful on that but yeah i think very much getting the weakness up is 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 the most important thing i I'm thinking of an example i don't you know uh, yeah i'll yeah I'll, I'll leave that one actually just forget about that anyway <laughs> sorry i'll finish no problem um someone is asking actually for the link to the spiritual gifts gifts questionnaire so um okay. if you are able to provide that link that to tom um then he would be able to get that up for for people that are interested in in having a, a look at that and maybe using that in uh with their folks so that would be awesome um andy before i um finish you have been phenomenal and thank you so much for for sharing with us so any other comment you just want to make or feel like you want to an, an encouragement you want to close as you're obviously broadcasting to people that are church planting thinking about church planting um from what you've brought yeah i suppose i just want to say i mean I've, with church planting we started four years ago and it was so it was hard work <laughs> and um i remember one time sitting down i'm about a year year and a half in and my wife and i we were so we were so it was one of those sundays where just nobody shows up and you're just like what are we doing what everything seemed to go wrong and um I remember saying to to Colin, the senior leader at our church, I was like, this, this is so hard. And uh, he just said, of course it's hard. If it wasn't, everybody be doing it. 
<laughs> and it was such a, it was just what we needed to hear. It was in a recognition that church planting is hard work, but it is worth it. And, um, you know, and, and it is the best way of seeing disciples made and the gospel kind of spread right across the world. So if you're going through tough times, stick with it. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Andy said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 109. See you next time.